Obviously, some people were caught off guard this morning. We kind of mixed things up on you. That's on purpose, just so you know. Um, in case you weren't aware, it's somewhere around the world right now, over the last 24 hours or so, there's somewhere in the neighborhood of 2.1 billion people celebrating the love of Jesus. 2.1 billion people. And you know what's one thing that almost all of them do? They take communion together. It's a great show of unity of who we're to be in the body of Christ. And so we'll get into that. But uh, we, we threw you for a loop there. We understand that. Caught you off guard. Um, just keep in mind, um, what's sacred about this service? Jesus. That's it. He's the only reason we're here. Nothing else matters but Jesus. And so anything else that ever changes or moves or is different, as long as it still points to Jesus, that's all that matters. And we've got to keep that in mind church. I want to take a second and just thank all of you that gave us uh, some well wishes yesterday being our anniversary. Uh, it was our, our 23rd anniversary of actually being married. Um, we've been together slightly longer than that. She did sit behind me in fifth grade. So um, we did not get married in fifth grade. Um, that would have been weird, but, but uh, we've been together a very, very long time. And we're actually going to get to celebrate that today. So we're going to go out and, and celebrate that tonight and stuff. But we are excited. It is, a, it is a blessing. I was joking with Shobi. I've been married almost as long as he's been alive at this point. And so um, that's, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. We, we love it. But honestly, time, you guys know this. And what's so funny is you talk with folks as we age a little bit. Time just moves so fast. Now, for me, time has always moved fast. Maybe that's just because I move fast. I don't know. Um, but here's the thing. The year's already half over, if you didn't know that. We have started summer officially. The summer solstice started a couple days ago. We celebrated that by staying up till 3 a.m. at the drive-in theater. Yes, why not? You know, hey, we, who's been to a drive-in lately? It was, it was a lot of fun. Um, but here in just a few weeks, um, my family and I will be celebrating our one-year anniversary with you already. Time goes so so fast. We have been so grateful for the opportunity to begin to get to know you, although it was very difficult over this first year. Um, for the first several months, I lived an hour away, and then after that, we lived in a basement for seven months, um, six of us, and so uh, now we're finally getting settled, <laughs> as settled as we'll ever be. You guys understand that, I hope, and it is exciting to begin to get that opportunity to get to know you guys. Um, here's the thing. Uh, we really, truly do want to know you. We want to hear your stories. We want to know how Jesus came into your life. We want to know how he's transformed you. We want to know how he's at work right now in your life. That is so important to us. But here's the thing. We can only do that if you're willing to share it with us. If you don't tell us, we'll never, ever know. And it would be a shame to keep that a secret. Not just me but to tell the leadership of this church, to tell your small group, to tell each other, even within this room. There are so many people in this room that have known each other forever that don't know anything about each other. And I know that because I've ate lunch with some of them, and as I hear stories, they'll say, I didn't know that about you. Like, you've known them for 60 years. How do you not know that that is the case? You see, here's the reality. Um, we got to understand that our faith, while it is personal, we have a personal relationship with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It is so much more than a personal faith. It is meant to be shared in community with others. It is completely relational. There's no way the whole one another thing works if you're not in community with other people. And that's what we're commanded and called to become. We're called to be in community with one another, but how can we? If we don't treat each other the way that Jesus has taught us 
to treat one another. So you see, it starts with us. If we claim the name of Jesus, the title of this series is Be Nice. We kept it real simple for you. And today's message is talking about being nice within the church. This applies here at Berea and any church across the entire globe. We have to set the standard. We have to be the example for the world to see. There's no exception to that. There's a couple of really simple principles that we're going to live by here and hopefully elsewhere. Probably simple principles that you learned as a child that your mother probably taught you. Now, she may have not pointed out book, chapter, verse, where these things were in the Bible, but they're there, I promise. They're very simple rules. You can go ahead and finish them for me if you want. If you don't have something nice to say, don't say anything at all. Did you know Jesus basically said that? Did you have any idea that that's in the scriptures? How about this? You probably were sitting in the back seat of the car, and your mom and or dad turned around and said, be nice to your brother and sister. Yeah, who's ever heard that before? How many of you still hear that? Yeah, parents. Anyway, I'm just curious. How many of you still say that frequently to your kids? Okay, got it. Church, if, if we adopted these simple principles, oh, how we would thrive. When addressing the first one, I would say this. Before you speak something negative, evaluate. Why are you sharing that information? What's your motivation? What's your purpose? Are you just repeating it because you know it? Or is there a deep, intention somewhere. The passage that we're going to study today speaks so clearly to this exact issue, yet somehow in the church, though many of us have probably heard it before, we somehow fail to grasp this idea, and we don't apply it. We don't allow our lives to be lived this way. Why? Why is that? Well, there has to be a reason, a motivation, and it really has to do with our heart. There's something, there's a heart condition. There's something wrong with our heart. It could be an unrepentant sin. It could be some veil that's over our heart, some exposure, some something that's causing us to be this way. What we have to understand is it is absolutely sinful, and it's keeping us from truly being able to share God's word and his love. Secondly, we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, those people outside the church that, that come in and hear that, they don't understand that. I get that. Here's the thing. We're all sons and daughters of the king. That makes us brothers and sisters, and if you know family, family can get messy. We can disagree. We can have arguments. We can have fights. Those things happen, but how we handle them in the church should be so markedly different than how we handle them in this world, and people will notice when we do that. Now, this isn't my idea. I'll point you right back to the words of Jesus, John thirteen thirty five. The world will know that we are his disciples by how we love each other, not how we love them. That's secondary to how we love each other. They will witness our love for him by how we love each other. It's plain and it's simple, and if they don't see that, then there's something missing. This is how we show an unbelieving world that what we believe is real, that it's authentic, that it's unique from the world, that it's desirable, and it's something worth pursuing in their life as well. People have a desire to be known and to be loved. The church should be the greatest place on planet earth for people to have that desire met. But instead, what do they see? They see us fighting. They see us leaving the church for the most obscure, insignificant, unimportant, unrelated to Jesus ways or reasons. They see us complaining. They see us being hateful to one another. They see us reject our own why in the world would anyone want to be a part of that? You see, because the world already has all that it can get. 
We, we can easily find that in all corners of the globe. So let me start with this. Understand that this series isn't birthed out of anything, any event or anything that's happened here at Berea. This series is birthed out of conversations, stories that some of you have shared with me. This series comes from my life and what I've been a part of and what I've experienced as a longtime church attender, church member, church volunteer, church lead volunteer, and for the last 13 years as a person who served on an actual vocational ministry at the church. This message is unfortunately a response to the world's opinion of the church. Because unfortunately, sometimes the world gets its thoughts about us correct. Because sometimes the church can be vicious. It can be divisive. It can be argumentative. It can even be hateful. Characteristics that are in direct opposition to everything that Jesus taught us, everything that Jesus showed us. How on earth did we lose sight of the love of Jesus, of the love that we're supposed to have for each other. How did we let the world come in and overtake the bride of Christ? You see, that's on us. When did this happen? See, I don't know those, questions, uh, those answers. I have no idea how these things happen. And here's the reality. I don't care. That might sound harsh, but here's the thing. I want to look ahead because what's in the past doesn't matter. I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection, the participation in his sufferings. I want to become like him in his death and so attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself of taking hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining Toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Now, of course, those aren't my words, but those are my desires. Those are the words of Paul from Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 10. You see, here's the reality. We cannot, if we, if, if we cannot love each other, we cannot love a world that doesn't know Jesus if you cannot love your brother and sister in Christ, whether they're sitting beside you in the seats or they're up here on stage, if you cannot do that, you cannot love one who loves Jesus and is creating this image, then you cannot love God. Yeah, I said that. If you can't love someone in this room that's a brother or sister in Christ, you cannot love God. He's plain and clear about that. It's not an option because you can't even see him. If you can't love your brother and sister in Christ who share the greatest thing in all of humanity with you, Jesus, his love, his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness, the life that you've both found in him, how can you love someone who has absolutely nothing in common with you, who you probably disagree with on almost every point, every issue, who lives a different lifestyle than you, who looks differently than you, who might even hate you? You see, you can't. You can't, and that's why this is so important. There's a very famous passage probably everyone has heard from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It begins this way. Love is patient. Love is kind. Kind. You see, kindness defines the love that Jesus has for us, and therefore the love we are to have for each other. So if this is true, if this verse is true, then we have to admit that if we don't love if we are not kind 
then nothing at all that we say matters in the least. So why on earth would anyone listen to us talking about our Jesus? Now, again, you might say, what are you saying, Pastor? Where'd you get that from? Well, let me read it to you. If I speak in tongues of men or angels, but I don't have love, I'm only a loud noise. I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. In other words, what I say doesn't matter one little tiny bit. Did you know that without love, nothing I know matters at all? Because if I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all the mysteries and all the knowledge of the universe, but I do not have love, I am nothing. I could be the most faithful person listening today. I'm always here, I always read, I always pray, but you know what? It doesn't mean a cotton bacon thing. Not even a little bit, because if I don't have love, I can have the faith that can move mountains. But if I don't have love, I'm nothing. I could be the most generous person in the church. I could give and give and give of what God has given me, yet it will never, ever make a difference. Why? Because if I give all I possess to the poor, but I have not love, I gain nothing at all. This is hard. These are hard teachings. They're true. And I wrote that we needed to face them, but I disagree with that after writing it. I don't think we need to face them because that seems like it's in opposition to us. No, we actually need to embrace them. We need to cherish these teachings. We need to live them. We need to quit pretending to be the people of God by simply showing up on a Sunday morning. And we need to live a lifestyle of love for one another. We need to genuinely care for each other. We need to express our love for Jesus through our love for each other, starting now. This isn't a transition. This isn't a thing that you gradually ease into. It's a moment in time where you choose to live differently, and I pray that that moment is today. I asked earlier, how on earth did all this get started? How did we mess up our identity so badly? How did we get so far off Jesus' mission for the church. It must have taken centuries for this to happen, right? <laughs> of course not. Of course not. We humans are very efficient at messing things up. We're really, really good at it. It took us very little time. It, we took the love and the example and the teachings of Jesus, and within less than 30 years, probably substantially less than 30 years, Paul's writing a letter to a church, a church that he had recently planted, who must have looked a lot like us. And this is our central passage today and our model for who we pray we can become. And here's the thing. This passage from Ephesians chapter 4, in the future, moving from this day forward, when issues arise in here, when people aren't treating one another, when people are saying things that they just shouldn't say about God's bride, then we're going to just point straight to this verse and say, well, here's what scriptures say. Can we agree on that or not? And if we can't, hey, Paul's very clear about what to do with those folks. <laughs> Very clear, but he prays that there's unity in the body of Christ, which is the same thing, because what we want to do is get through this passage, and at the end of it, come through loving each other even more like Christ loves us. So Ephesians chapter 4 is where we're going to be. We're going to read the whole passage, because I think it's so important to read it in context. We'll skip just a little bit in the middle of it, and then we're going to break it down. Verse 1 of chapter 4, book of Ephesians. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, 
one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Amen. Do you believe that today? But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. So Christ himself gave the apostles, verse 11, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. We will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. We'll skip to verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, it may that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ God forgave you. And follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. So in our remaining time together, we're going to pick this verse apart and talk about how it applies not just here at Berea, but to any church around the entire world. First note that Paul's comments had to have been in response to what was happening at the church in Ephesus. This is not advice you give to people that aren't dealing with these issues. So clearly there are things going on in the church. Now, this church in comparison is brand new. It's really only a few years old in the scheme of world history and even the history of our religion. And yet it's having these kinds of problems. Berea, we started in 1892. How much more could we have messed things up? I'm just saying, let's be honest about this. You see, the reality is this, humans are humans. Whether it's 62 A.D. or it's 2019, we've not changed. And Satan absolutely will use the exact same things to tear us apart as a church. So here we go. Be completely humble. Completely humble. Completely. That's a big word, isn't it? And gentle and patient, bearing with one another in love. Be humble. Here's a question. If you're humble, where does that leave your opinion? I'm asking. If you're humble, where does that leave your opinion? The very bottom of the list, doesn't it? If you are humble, if you are humble, where does that leave your personal preferences? After everyone, everyone else's. This is a hurt. I've heard this in board meetings at churches before, not here. <laughs> You've heard it said, it's my way. Or, yeah, if you are completely humble, where does that leave your way? Way down that highway somewhere else. 
not for someone else to get to. Yeah, that's completely humble. Be gentle. Be gentle with one another. If we handle all the issues that arise in the church with this attitude, it does not mean that we're not firm. That's not it at all. We have to stand firm on our Savior. We have to stand firm on His example, on His teachings, but we have to stand firm in His love as well. If we treat one another with the harshness and the cruelty that exists in this world, we could easily crush someone's spirit and turn them against Jesus Himself as well as the church. Now, we must understand that could also happen no matter how gentle we are with people because some people will reject the truth no matter how it's presented. Some people will choose to reject Christ no matter how he's presented, and some people will reject the body of Christ, his bride, the church. And they might blame us, so we can't give them a reason to blame us. Jesus told us not to be surprised if the world hates us. It hated him first. Be patient. Be patient with one another in the church. Be patient with each other. Be patient with the leadership. Please, 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 I beg you, be patient with me. I'm going to make plenty of errors. I am not perfect. Sometimes things don't happen in the way or at the speed that I would like for them to. For some of you, it seems like things are always happening too fast, doesn't it? It requires both of us to have patience. For me personally, when I get frustrated and I become impatient, all I have to do is think about how patient my Heavenly Father is with me. How long does it take for me to get it through my thick head sometimes? How long does it take for me to do what God wants me to do till I listen and I finally follow through? Can you apply that to yourself? Bear with one another in love. When you genuinely love someone, you are willing to bear a great deal. A perfect illustration is as parents, think of some of the things you've put up with with your kids, and yet you still love them, yes. But don't stop there, because remember, your parents had to put up with you too, so just keep that in mind. Don't cast them aside. Don't write others off. Bear with them. And church, this is a two-way street. We have to communicate our needs to one another. How can we bear what we do not know? We must share our burdens with one another. And when we do, we have to bear them together. We can't just forget about them and move on. Now, this is an area I will point us out in. I've only been a part of two other churches my entire life. I grew up basically one my entire life. I served another one for 12 years. This church does not communicate their needs well. I will be completely surprised that someone had surgery or someone has cancer or someone has this. No one tells anyone here. I don't understand that. I don't get that at all. That's what we're talking about is this community that loves each other so much that you shouldn't hesitate if there's a need like that to have your brothers and sisters in Christ at very most praying for you because it's not the least we can do. That's the greatest thing we can do. At the very least, bringing meals to your home to help you through the time that you're struggling. I don't know what you would call it. Maybe it's pride. But the reality is that's who we're supposed to be because when we begin doing these things, the world will take notice and they will see us loving each other and they will know we are his disciples. 
Verse 3, make every effort to keep a unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Do you not love this verse? Make every effort, not a effort, every effort to keep the unity in the body in the, in the, of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Because why? Well, because there is one body, one Spirit, one hope, one Lord. Do you get the picture? One faith, one baptism, one God, one Father. Do we understand that? church. I pray that we do. It's pretty spelled out very clearly for us there. There's not a lot of room to add other in there. There's just one. This is who we are to be. This is what you and I are called to do. How do we make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit? Can all of us begin working on that today? Because there's only one spirit, there's only one God, there's only one son, Jesus. And yes, there is only one church. The independent Christian church that established itself through the restoration movement did so with several mottos or creeds, if you will, but they were very short. It simply says, we are Christians only. We're not this denomination or that denomination, whatever, but we are not the only Christians. We have to understand and believe that how Jesus established things. So the question becomes, what are you doing to maintain the unity of the Spirit here at Berea? And this is where it gets really personal. What if someone was standing in line behind you at the bank and behind you at Walmart? They were sitting behind you at Mario's and they heard the name of Berea come up. Would the words that follow be words of unity in the Spirit? Or would they be divisive, critical, maybe even cynical? Would your words draw someone in Jesus' direction toward the bride of Christ here? Or would it push them away completely? How do our words, when we speak of the bride of Christ, the church, the ecclesia, the gathering in his name, how does it reflect Jesus' dying Desire. If you remember through our study in John, as Jesus was praying in the garden, he prayed for us, specifically for us, that we would have unity among believers. This is his dying wish. Do our actions, do our words unite or do they divide? Will the church make mistakes? Absolutely. Will the leadership make mistakes? Absolutely. Well, the pastors make mistakes. I'll, I'll speak on Prudence's behalf. Yes, we will. <laughs> we will make mistakes, plenty of them. I'm confident of that as much as I would love to avoid them. Will you give each one of us and each other the same grace that Jesus gives you daily as we work through this thing together? Verse 11, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers to equip his people for works of service so the body of Christ might be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Church, this is exactly why we started with the book of John together for the first year together, so that we could be unified in our knowledge of the Son of God. It's right here. It's his request for us. Jesus calls some people into positions to do different things, some callings. He equips some people for specific purposes and others for others so that the church as a whole may be built up so that people will be reached so the lost will be saved 
And if we are unified in this calling, if we treat one another the way Christ showed us, then the gates of hell will never prevail against us. Jesus promises us this truth. And if we commit to being this type of church, then God will move in an incredible way in this place like you have never seen in your lives. And then we'll be no longer tossed back and forth like infants by the waves blown here and there by every wind and teaching by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every aspect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. From him the whole body joined together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. This is us. This is who we want to be. This is who Christ desires for us to be, a mature body of believers where this is how things work as each part does its work together. We won't be deceived by the cunning work of Satan. Our community will grow closer. Our marriages will grow stronger. Our families will be restored. And people will be drawn to this place and to the love of Jesus because of this thing that they're seeing happening. People will no longer just leave the church for this reason or that. Will they leave the church? Yes. Because God will call them potentially to the mission field in some faraway land, potentially to another region or another area or another city to plant a church. And then what happens? Then the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, our family simply expands to whole new regions. It doesn't divide because we remain unified in the faith and the reach of the gospel goes that much further. These aren't simply words on a page that Paul recorded for us. These are the standard that Jesus wants his church to live by. It is who we want to be. It is what is to define us. But it gets really, really hard with the next verse. Verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Could it be any plainer? As leaders, as church members, when we find ourselves speaking and it doesn't meet this standard, then we're sinning. We're sinning. We must repent of this sin. When someone comes to us and begins speaking with this tongue, if you will, sometimes it's even slanderous toward the leaders, toward the pastors, toward the teachers, toward others at the church. It might even be slander against the very bride of Jesus. If we hear this form of speaking, we got to ask a question. Is this unifying the spirit of Christ within the body, or is it a spirit that seeks to tear it apart? Now, that person might not admit that it's a spirit seeking, but Satan's using them as a tool to try to tear the body of Christ apart. Let only what is helpful come out of your mouth. Sound familiar? If you don't have something nice to say, don't say it at all. Yeah, it's right there. What we should say should build others up. It should build the church up. It should cause the body of Christ to grow. These should be the only things. The only things. Let only these things come out of your mouth. Yeah, 
Is it easy? No. Didn't say it would be. But who wouldn't want to be a part of that group? Who wouldn't want to be part of the church if that is who we were? Because by this, they will know. We are disciples, but there's probably an area that you didn't realize. Verse 30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Did you realize that when you speak those words, when I speak those words, when I have those conversations, I am grieving the Holy Spirit. The words we use and how we speak to others and how we speak about the bride of Christ brings pain and sorrow to the Spirit of God. Do you realize that's the consequence of our actions? We don't just hurt each other. We don't even just hurt this precious church. We literally hurt the Spirit of God. That's serious. That is serious, serious business. So here's something really simple. I put it in your bulletin for you at the bottom. A simple little acronym. Nothing hard, nothing revolutionary, but if you have trouble with your tongue, maybe this is a great place to start. It's the word think. The first word, is it truthful? If what you're saying is truthful, if it's not or you don't know, clearly you shouldn't be saying it. Is it helpful? If what you're about to say is, is it helpful or not? Now, here's the thing about that. If you have to ask the question, I think you already have the answer. Really simple, really simple evaluation process. Third one, is it inspiring? Not would it inspire others. Is what you're about to say inspiring to you? Does it inspire you to live in a Christ-like manner? Does it inspire you to grow closer to Christ? Would it inspire you to be a part of that body of believers? If not, is it necessary? Is what you're about to say necessary? Once again, I have a very simple test for this question. If your answer to that question is, well, I think it is, I think you already know the answer once again. Probably not necessary. And simply, most of all, is it kind? Is it nice? And then Paul throws it all out there for us. If you didn't believe him, if you didn't want to listen, he says, okay, get rid of you. <laughs> get rid of all bitterness. Get rid of all anger. Get rid of all brawling. Get rid of all slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgive each other just as Christ God forgave you and follow God's example as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. See, Paul doesn't ever just tell us what to do. He always tells us why. He tells us exactly who we should be and why. And he tells us that if folks are like this, if our tongue is like this, if these are the words we speak, here's one simple rule, get rid of it. Don't tolerate it, don't allow it, don't promote it, don't be a part of it, period. Elsewhere in scripture, he says things like, have nothing to do with such people because they're divisive and they're not unifying the body of Christ. And this is a big, big deal in the church. And he tells us instead to be kind and compassionate and forgive, 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 and forgive. Remember the disciples asked Jesus, how many times should I forgive? And Jesus just made up a number. It doesn't matter. Forgive as Christ forgives us. Follow his example. Love each other and put ourselves in the back seat. And when we do that, see what God does through us.
Now, the reality is this. It is a spiritual battle. You don't have to believe that. You can blame individuals. You can blame society. You can blame whatever you want, and that is fine because Satan would love nothing more than you to blame someone other than yourself. He would absolutely love you to cast that blame on everybody and everything else to stick your hand in the, head in the sand and pretend that this reality doesn't exist here like it exists in other churches all around the world. But I pray that the Spirit instead moves in you today and doesn't allow anybody in this room to accept that reality. I pray that instead we'll fight to be the church of Jesus and his people. And the thing is, the change can only start with you. It can only start with me. We can't do anything for anyone else, nor does Scripture call us to. It calls us to change our hearts, our minds, and in this case, our tongues to be nice. Do we want to be who God wants us to be, who we're meant to be? It's a tough question. It might have a might cause, require a lifestyle change. People might even ask, how are things going? And they're used to hearing this from you. And your song is different from now on. This happens in an instant. Now this message was, was this, this passage is tough. It's tough to digest. I pray that it bothers you. It's true. <laughs> bothers me. <laughs> bothered me a few weeks ago. You can ask the folks that I told after I got done with it. Hey, this is a tough one for me as well. So I want to end this message with a challenge, a nice challenge, a friendly challenge, a community-building challenge. For some of you in the room, it will be very uncomfortable. For some in the room, it will be hard. For some listening, you are just going to ignore it completely because you're just too busy, or you don't want to, or you don't feel like you can do it, or dare I say, you don't even want to listen to the Spirit. That's on you. We can't question your motivation. If that's you, I want to ask you a simple question about your role within the body of Christ. As you are playing your role right now, are you just playing the position that you want to play? Are you just playing the position you want to play? Or are you okay with the coach, his name's God, putting you in the game at whatever position he needs you at? pulling you out of your comfort zone and putting you only where he needs you. So with that being said, I know everyone's lifestyle, everyone's schedule, everyone's works, everything is different. So you're going to have to translate this so it fits into your world. I can't do that for you. Everybody's schedule looks a little different. Not everybody will be able to follow this suggestion exactly how it's described. So listen very close and make adjustments for your circumstances. Now, I'm going to pause right here. This is not in the script. Years ago, you can ask my wife, I said, I one day, I really want to be a part of a church where this is something that just happens spontaneously. Unfortunately, we have to start it. And after that, we'll allow the Spirit to move, hopefully, and it'll be a spontaneous thing for this congregation for now until eternity. And people will wonder, what is wrong with those people? And it'll be awesome. I think it'll be an incredible, incredible thing. If you're prepared to act today on this, go right ahead. Bless somebody today. Make plans today. So here's what I want you to do. Next week, next Sunday, so I'm giving you a week. Next Sunday, before you leave home, put an extra roast in the crock pot. Set a few more burgers or hot dogs out to thaw. 
Make an extra batch of chicken noodles. Make a few extra yeast rolls. Bring them to the office on Monday. That'd be great. <laughs> anyway, if you're not a cook, don't freak out. Don't freak out. Try to eat out one or two less meals this week and save some money for Sunday. Next Sunday, maybe you get here just a little bit early. Maybe stick around a little bit late. Maybe you have a conversation starting today. And I want to challenge you and your family to ask someone that you do not know. Someone you do not know to lunch or to have them over for dinner or to go out to eat with you and your family for lunch. As I said, everybody is different. Adjust it how it will work for you. Now, we know that there are several people that attend church here that do go out after service with their family or friends every week. We want you to switch that up. Now, is this out of your comfort zone? Yes. Yes. And I know for a fact that most of you have never, ever, ever done anything like this before in your life. That's why we're giving you a week to get prepared. I'm giving a week to comprehend the idea of extending the love of Jesus, extending the community that we're supposed to have, extending the blessings that God has given you. There are so many factors, there are so many reasons, there are so many excuses as to why you cannot do this, which is exactly why you should do this. Begin looking around right now. Who in the room do you not know? We have people from a foreign country in this room. Do you know that? Probably not. Who might you invite? As I said, if you're prepared and ready, you can go ahead and do that today, or you could at least set things up for next week. You can begin to pray who it is that God would have you ask. Don't be afraid of kids. I grew up with five little sisters. There were eight of us. You know how many families invited us over to dinner after church? Yeah. I've got four. I won't tell you how many people have invited us over for dinner after church since we've been here. You wouldn't like the answer. It's a change. It's a change in philosophy. It's a change in lifestyle. It's a change in who we are called to be as Christ. And that's a simple, simple change. And here's the beautiful thing. If more than one person asks you or you ask more than one person, guess what? We have next, week, next week's plans ready as well. This is who we're to be. This is a body that's supposed to love and care and get to know one another, the world will know his, are his disciples by his love. And it's time to start showing that love at all times and all ways. And could you imagine being a guest at a church that comes in those doors, sits down for the first time, and after that service, some stranger from the room comes up and says, hey, I am so glad you're here. I'd love to get to know you a little bit. You want to go to lunch afterwards? They might say no, but I guarantee they won't stop talking about it when they leave. Can you believe that person just did that. I have been to churches completely anonymously where that has happened. It's crazy how that makes you feel. In closing, we've got to evaluate ourselves as members of the body of Christ wherever we are in the world. Are there actions? Are there words? Are there items? Are there things that we need to repent of? Are there things we've done in the past that we need to ask for forgiveness for? Are there things that we're holding against others that we need to forgive them for? We must forgive as Jesus forgives us. That's not, that's not even negotiable in the church. If someone's upset you, you're called to forgive them, period. If our words or our actions have harmed someone else, then we need to seek their forgiveness. And church, if we can from this day forward move forward with this change of heart, change of mind, and change of attitude, 
hang on. Hang on. Because people are going to come to know the love of Jesus and their eternities will be changed. Father God, I thank you for this passage, as tough as it is. I pray that in our context, we can see how it relates to us. And I pray that we even eliminate the us and make it personal and make it relate to me. My tongue, my words, my actions, my mind, my thoughts. Father, am I unifying this body of Christ here or am I causing division? Father, we can't point the finger at others. We've got to start with ourselves. I pray that this fun challenge to just begin to get to know and build community here. I pray that this is something that just moves from here on and as new people do come and new people join the church, the first thing they do is invite a visitor with them to lunch because that is how they came to love this place was somebody reached out to them after service one day and that hooked them. That hooked them with the love of Jesus. Yes, in this world, something so simple could be the thing that begins to make a difference for all eternity. The Spirit can use anything that we're willing to allow Him to use. May He use each and every one of us, Father. In your name we pray.